0: Hi, welcome to the Authority Marketing Podcast. I'm Ian Brody of IanBrody.com, and with me today is Greg Alexander, the CEO of Sales Benchmark Index and the author of Top Grading for Sales, Making the Number, and more recently, The CEO's Guide to Getting More Out of the Sales Force. Welcome to the podcast, Greg.
1: Glad to be here, Ian.
0: Now, as uh, everyone I'm hoping knows as they're listening, the focus of this podcast is on interviewing well-known established experts and authorities in their field on how they achieved that position, what marketing they did, how um, how they found their niche, how they got to where they were so that the consultants, the coaches, the other advisors listening can learn from that and apply some of the the steps themselves. So, Greg, um, you and SBI have, have really become established as the experts on benchmarking and analytical approaches to Sales performance was that niche something you specifically um, picked out in advance by looking at the market and kind of thinking there's no one really doing that or was it something you just sort of you know fell into by, because you'd been doing a lot of work in the area
1: it's probably somewhere in between um, the story behind it was is that prior to launching sales benchmark index with my partners I was a sales leader in corporate America. And I was a frustrated consumer of the sales improvement industry. Mm. I spent millions of dollars and countless number of hours on behalf of my employers with the service providers in the space and was disappointed with the results. The thing that disappointed me the most was how long it took to get the results and how disruptive the implementations were. Mm -hmm. So during this time, I was getting my executive MBA from Georgia Tech, and this is where I met my co-founder, Aaron Bartels. Was very different than I am in that he's a computer scientist from Notre Dame and he had been using benchmarking to solve problems in IT. Ah. Yeah. So as we were working together, he convinced me that this 80 year old science known as benchmarking, if uniquely applied to sales, you know, could make a difference. And that was kind of
0: the origination of the idea. Right. So you kind of came from the consumer, the the the, the client of, of benchmarking or of Salesforce performance improvement background. He brought the benchmarking and together you had a new approach. Of course, you understood what the customers wanted and needed. He had a tool, a methodology that would, ha- would help you do it. Exactly. Ah. And so so from that, obviously, you must do that was, I guess, the genesis of the idea of applying benchmarking to sales. Um, but when you think about it, you know, you're focusing on a function, sales, and a very specific activity in, in benchmarking. Did it worry you early on that, that there might not be a big enough market for, for that sort of approach?
1: No, it didn't worry me. It, the reason why that is is that here's some numbers for you. There's approximately $1 trillion spent per year on sales forces by corporations across the world, mm. $1 trillion. Another stat for you about 14% of the total workforce is employed in full time sales positions. So the market is really big, and I think it's important to understand that our firm, Sales Benchmark Index, is a sales consulting company first, who's focused on improving sales productivity, who happens to leverage the benchmarking method as a way to do so. Yeah. Right? Whereas, you know, in contrast to that, there's some benchmarking companies. We choose sales as the application it's a subtle difference but uh, indeed one- you,
0: you you're position so you for, from a customer perspective you're positioning yourself with the end result so sales performance improvement and perhaps your differentiator from other sales performance improvement firms is that you you take a benchmarking approach, but you're not positioning yourself as a a benchmarking company which is almost which is a method really
1: yeah exactly very well said.
0: Okay, so you, so you, you kind of, so the way you figured out this is big enough, you just looked at the whole market and 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 said, well, look, if you if you look at all the amount of money being spent on sales, the number of people who are in the sales force, I know from my own experience, I guess that that they need improving, and uh, and the, the I guess the 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 consultants, the firms you'd used previously, you'd felt hadn't come up to the mark in in some ways because. Um, I think, as you said earlier, you'd, you'd seen there have been problems with implementation and the speed, etc. So I guess that gave you comfort that there was a big enough market.
1: Yeah, I was comfortable with it because I was the customer. Mm. So I really understood it and this issue of speed was what we went after. So when Aaron introduced the concept to me of benchmarking, my first question was, well, how long does that take? And he showed me that if you can build this methodology and use data as your guide, You know, more often than not, a sales problem that somebody may be having, it's highly likely that someone else has already had that problem Mm. and possibly solved it. So, if you can build this database of what we refer to as evidence based best practices supported by empirical data, then you can show a sales leader how to go from problem identification to problem resolution very quickly. So,
0: right. so again, you, the, the the benchmarking is just the tool there and you're focusing on the very specific um, benefit of being able to implement quickly.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: And I guess that's, that's interesting because a lot of, when I talk to a lot of consultants, um, and a lot of the advice people give is about following your passion. Find something you're really good at, you're able to add tremendous value in. But the caveat always has to be, there's got to be a market for it. But in some ways, I guess because you two guys came together with, with from different backgrounds. You had both the market understanding side and, and the, the, the particular skill, the tool side, so you, you were able to make sure you had both angles on it.
1: Yeah, that's correct. I mean, I don't want to suggest that I'm not passionate about sales improvement. Of course, because, yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've
1: spent my entire life uh, in sales. Um, what was very interesting to me was how when you look at that function, and you compare it to the other silos inside of a corporation, whether it's finance, IT, ops, HR, what have you,
0: mm-hmm.
1: the discipline in the sales function relative to those other functions is is just not there. I mean, the, the methodical, mm-hmm. systematic way that you go about applying continuous improvement isn't there. Mm-hmm. And I was a skeptic because, you know, I grew up in an environment where I was taught that, you know, sales is a relationship business and it's, all, it's an art, not a science. Yeah. And then, you know, through Aaron's amazing analytical capability, he converted me. And then, when we saw the results of my first handful of clients, I was um, I was a complete evangelist at that right. point.
0: <laughs> so you you'd you'd got, you'd figured out and focused on that niche, um, and you 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 had a, a wonderful product that you had to sell to people. Presumably, you already had some relationships in the in the because of your background, but it certainly seems to me from outside that that you know what was very successful for you as a marketing strategy was the strategy of building a name and reputation um as an expert so although your first book was top grading for sales i don't know was that before was that pre-sbi or was that no we had
1: launched sbi and i co authored that with dr brad smart that's right that's- yeah the story about him which is interesting is that He was a service provider that I hired while I was at EMC Corporation. He was really the only one um, who could prove his results. So Mm. we went out to market with him first because there was real evidence that it worked.
0: Yeah, that's because he'd previously written um, uh, top top grading itself rather than just top grading for sales, and it was a successful methodology. But I think the, the nice synergy is that it's also a very analytical you know, rather than the typical approaches to to, um, to recruitment where you sit in a room and get a good feeling for someone. Um, it was based on, you know, pro- experiments and, and tests and proven results. Um, and it's a much more kind of um, quantitative um, way of doing things. So it, I guess it fits well with the SBI approach to salesforce, Im- salesforce improvement generally.
1: Yeah, it fits extremely well. I mean, our belief is that sales ex- excellence is equal parts the talent of the organization, and that's where the top grading concept comes in, mm-hmm. as well as the performance conditions upon which you place that talent, and that's where the benchmarking approach comes right. in. So the
0: combination right. of two. Okay, so so you've so you had the initial book with uh, with Brad, and then obviously um, making the number came out. Um, now was it? Did, did you deliberately use the book and the, and that kind of marketing strategy of being the experts in the field? Was that was that your primary marketing approach, or were you simultaneously doing other other kind of marketing, the maybe the more face to face stuff, the you know trying to make contacts with uh, with senior executives?
1: You know, it's a great question, and I was thinking about this um, the other day when I was talking to somebody who was just getting started. Um, I'd love to tell you that we had a well thought out marketing plan. Um, but I would be misleading you. Mm. We really, um, we had this new idea called sales benchmarking and it wasn't understood. So the purpose of writing the book was to explain the idea. Mm. We were trying to close the trust gap and the trust gap defined by us is, you know, clients when they hire somebody like us, and keep in mind who our client is, it's a, you know, a head of sales for a large B2B company. Mm. You know, who is responsible for the corporation's revenue line? So the stakes are super high. And when he hires us, it's literally a bet your career decision.
0: Mm.
1: And we take that responsibility very, very seriously. And it's reflected in the type of people that we hire, as an example. I mean, the only people inside of our firm are former sales leaders yeah, who we've assessed using the top grading methodology. So we know what their track record is. Um, you know, it was filled with case studies. And the the entire methodology was laid out in the book. You know, I think some authors take the approach where they give away some, but not all. Yeah. But in this particular case, we gave it all away because our belief was is that once somebody understood it, they would want to implement it, and then they would need help in implementing it, and that's where we came in. Right.
0: So, so it was you. You, you didn't sit there one day thinking, "Hey, the best way to market this is to become known as world leaders." The best, but what you thought mainly was. People don't really understand this, um, and they're not going to be able to trust us um, to to support them in a really, really critical decision for them. So by writing the book, it will help them understand it, and it will build the trust and credibility that we can do this.
1: Yeah, and then the book kind of took on a life of its own. So Mm -hmm. when it came out, it did pretty well, and it got me some big speaking events. It got me on television. The media picked it up. And, um, again, that was an, an unintended consequence. I mean, shame on me. I, I should have known that that was what I was after, but I was so inexperienced at that time. I did not know that. And it just kind of happened by itself. Um,
0: you know, the you know, second, sorry, carry on.
1: Yeah. The second thing to, to think about, the other thing that we totally were focused on was generating referrals. Mm. And our belief was, is that if we, if we really delivered exceptional results, um, you know, given the way word of mouth spreads spreads in the uh, you know the 3G world that referrals would have a much higher close rate the sales cycles themselves would be a lot shorter
0: I was okay. going to say that that's a sort of really sensible strategy because you've got the the building the reputation the authority position but that's necessarily going to that's wonderful when it happens and it means you have to do a lot less proactive work yourself in th- theoretically because essentially the client is calling you because you are the the go-to person in your field but referrals have a much quicker turnaround and uh, can get you to essentially the same same level, but on a one to one basis rather than the book and the authority position, which can kind of hit the, motor, the whole market.
1: Yeah, that's true. Um, no question about it. I mean, the, the marketing approach would be attracting a lot of people quickly, where the referrals was on a one to one basis. Yeah. So that is absolutely correct.
0: And and so, but that that meant that while the book was sort of still being written and uh, and 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 or you know gaining traction. You were getting clients straight away through the referrals.
1: Correct. And, and our work is largely tied to performance metrics, as you can imagine, being mm. a benchmark. Yes. So <laughs> when we put our fees at risk, we embed right into the contract a certain number of referrals. Right. So it, it wasn't a... Um, you know, kind of a let me ask when I get around
0: to it. Yeah, because... not haphazard at all. It's uh, very systematic the way you handled it. Right. Okay. So, so if we think back to the um, away from the referrals a bit now, and think back of, uh, as as the book was was being published, and the the speaking engagements began to come in, what have you found over that period, and uh, up until where you've got to today, that that has helped you build? That you know, go-to person reputation.
1: Yep, uh, I'm going to sound like I'm beating a drum here, but really, it's the results um, at the client engagement. So, if you have very, very solid case studies
0: mm-hmm.
1: where there's no gray area between what happened before and what happened after, mm-hmm. then you take that and you publish that. So, uh, we shifted uh, to a blog. You know, this is a well-timed question that you're asking me. Um, I'm working on a new book. My uh, my deal with my publisher was a multi-book deal, and I owe them another one. And I went out to my customers, and I asked them the question, you know, how do you consume thought leadership today?
0: Mm
1: -hmm. And I was shocked at their answer. I really was. Let me me, uh, fill you in on what I heard. The first site they go to in researching a topic is not Google. They go to Amazon.com, right? Which I guess seems obvious, but to me it wasn't. And they search on Amazon not by an author's name or a title of a book, but by a subject. Yeah. And then the you know all of the books in that category come up. So for those of you out there that are listening that want to you know market via authority, get focused on all the marketing vehicles that Amazon makes available to you. That's something that we've done quickly. Yeah. the next thing I realized is that everybody's reading on a Kindle or an iPad these days. Mm. And in the traditional book publishing business, you know, from the from the inception of an idea through the marketing of the book proposal to the publishers, through your agent, to the time that you, you do a deal and get a book on the shelves can take 18, 24 months. Mm. It's just too long. So when I asked our readers how they were consuming things, I mean, they're reading books, Yes. But they're they're reading them now on a Kindle because they can be downloaded in sixty seconds. They're all reading blogs mm-hmm. instead of newspapers. Um, no one's reading magazines unless if they're delayed in an airport and they're picking them up. Yeah. So we shifted our, our focus to kind of short form form content in the form of blog posts. Yeah. We blog we uh, blog we publish once a day, which is a big commitment. Mm. Um, and our subscriber base has just steadily climbed and. If you look at it just from a marketing tactic and you draw a correlation to something like site visits as an example yeah. I mean we, we've doubled the traffic to our site in a very short
0: time' a blog yeah i ha- I have to say' my, my yeah when I first uh, went solo and started my own consulting firm. It was a real struggle to get any traffic to the website, and I I started my blog three years ago almost as a hobby, and it suddenly dawned on me. I'm very slow, really. Eventually, after about six months, it dawned on me I was getting far more traffic to the blog than I was to the proper website, and I ought to switch priorities.
1: (laughs) Yeah, we're, we're probably slower than you. We didn't realize that three years ago, but we do now, so... That's the big change for us. That,
0: that's, that's really stuff. interesting. So, so for example, if you were advising a you know a consultant, a coach, a, an expert advisor, as to how to go through the steps to to establish their authority in their mar- in their marketplace, your advice would be to go down the electronic route these days.
1: My advice would be to exclusively go down
0: the electronic route. Right. So in terms of publishing, get it, get an ebook, get it on Amazon essentially, and and get your blog going. Yeah, I mean if you just look at
1: Amazon, I mean some of the world's most respected authors, people like Seth Godin, mm. have this to self-publish, mm. and that used to have a negative um, consequence. You know, you were perceived to be not a real author if you self publish But now all the authors that can sell. Hundreds of thousands of books are self-publishing, so it has a credibility to it now. Um, if you look at Amazon, they're now selling these Amazon Singles, which is a five to ten-page white paper, in essence. Right. I mean, they're injecting the effectiveness of white papers with, you know, performance-enhancing drugs. <laughs> <laughs> in making that, um, you know, which became somewhat tired as a form of. Authority marketing, and it's now it has a life on its own. And then obviously the blog is just absolutely critical. So that's what I would do. I would I would write a book because some topics require the length of a book to mm-hmm. successfully Indeed. Um, I would absolutely post to the blog. I mean, I, you won't find a stronger advocate for that strategy than me. And then I would really focus on the marketing capabilities of Amazon. It's it's pretty amazing what right. they
0: That's forward. a really that's a really insightful finding. Th- thanks thanks for that, Greg. In terms of the way that your your customers, which will you know th- those guys you've been speaking to, will be the target customers of most, I'd say, of the of the people listening to this podcast. And uh, the fact that the the search begins on Amazon um, is a really interesting one. Okay, fi- fi- um, fi- final question. Well, in fact, I think I think you've uh, You've really answered this. I was going to say my final question was going to be, you know, for someone just starting out today wanting to establish themselves as an expert, what would you advice? you know, where should they start? And, and I guess you've said start electronic, maybe start, start with a blog?
1: Yeah, I would start with a blog. And the content of the blog would be casework. So right. a, word, a word of caution on the blogs. Um, just because you can broadcast to the world anything you want to say, doesn't necessarily mean you should.
0: Hmm.
1: If you're going to write a blog, um, you know, have it be something meaningful. And the person who determines whether or not it's meaningful is the reader, yeah. not necessarily yourself. So be be careful. And, and if you're going to say that, you know, this is a good idea or, you know, this is something that I'm an expert in, you know, if somebody picks up the phone and calls you and asks you to help implement it, you know, you better be able to. Hmm and it seems like every day there's a new guru out there and um, you know the my customers have told me that their pardon my french but their bs detector
0: is um uh, is finely tuned these days indeed there is a quite a lot of fake it till you make it unfortunately yeah there really is so
1: sometimes the, the slow and steady approach I and mean, we've been around for five years and um, you know any success that we've had certainly didn't come overnight it was through you know, methodical execution at the client site and through that, all of these other things we've been
0: talking about today have happened. So a great ta- example of a blog post would be, you know, if you, in your case, you'd, you'd write about, um, you know, an experience a client had had and something they'd done um, while working with you to improve their sales performance um, and that would be insightful to the readers but of course, behind the scenes, it's also, it's, also, it's, it's like a testimonial or a, or a case study um, as you might have on your normal website. Yeah, absolutely, and it it brings it to life, and it's real. Oh, it's much more interesting, yeah, than just theory, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much for that, Greg. That's been really, really insightful. Um, If people want to find out more about uh, Sales Benchmark Index and yourself, the things you're working on and writing about, where should they go? So the best place to go is the blog, and that address is blog.salesbenchmarkindex.com. And they go straight there and be your latest thinking and and uh, and ideas and uh, case studies and examples on uh, sales improvement. That's brilliant. Well, thank you very much, Greg. Be much much appreciated. Really enjoyed it, and hope to speak to you again soon. Okay, thanks, Ian. Cheers. Bye bye. (laughs)